Well, I don't know if you guys heard, we had a great Sunday, as, as she was just saying, at Tiffin last week. We actually, we set up about 230 chairs, and we had 386 people show up. And so that was a, a great start for Tiffin. And of course, what we're looking forward to is next Sunday. This is our, our big kind of outreach Sunday, uh, where we're starting a new series called Why Believe?, and so we're really excited about that, and uh, mailers should hit all of your addresses coming here this, this week, and that's true of Northwood and Tiffin as well. And then we're hoping that that will create some interest, and then also uh, you're inviting people, and we've got these bands to, to remind you to pray and invite people, and, and we have also invite cards, uh, these little cards like this that you can uh, give out that just invites them to the series, and then it has our times on the back, and so that's, it's kind of a handy thing to have. We're just today wrapping up a series called All In, All Out, where we're talking about being all in so that we can go all out for Jesus, and that includes reaching out to people. We started that, this series off by talking about how to be a Christian is to be a disciple. There's no other way, and a, a Christian is a disciple, and we should be actively following Jesus. And if you're a little confused about that or you think that's a different category, that's, that's incorrect thinking and that we, we need to follow him. And then the next Sunday we talked about how God owns everything and he, gives, he allows us to be stewards over things for a time and that we want to honor God in that. And we celebrated 80 years and then we talked about the reality of hell, which makes the stakes high for everything we're doing because there is an eternal destiny. And today we're talking about kind of an unusual topic. We're going to talk about evil, and we're going to do it in, with one of those passages that we don't often talk about. So we're going to jump into that, and that is in Mark chapter 5. So I invite you to turn there, Mark chapter 5, and, uh, and as I said, we're talking about evil and we see this especially in the media all around us that people do sort of unexplained things and we're just always wow and sometimes we get focused on that and we kind of feel like there's no hope because there's evil all around it's interesting the way our culture reacts to that because when evil happens our culture tends to blame uh, certain entities it may be the environment this person grew up you know, or because of some people that have a different view than they do, or uh, because there's a law or lack of laws uh, to deal with some. It seems like in our culture we tend to, to blame everything but the person who actually does the evil sometimes. And sometimes it can feel like there's no hope, but there is hope. And so in Mark 5 we're going to look at a, an event that happened in Jesus' life. And it's a, it's a different one, but we're going to dive into that. And then we're going to see how there is hope in Christ. And so as you turn to Mark 5 or turn on your devices, I want to set the context. And what happened in Mark 4 leading up to Mark 5 is that Jesus has been ministering and he and his disciples cross the Sea of Galilee in a boat. And they're going west to east and a, a violent storm comes up and it's so severe that even the... the the disciples who had been fishermen making their living on the Sea of Galilee, even they were thinking, this is bad. The whole time Jesus is sleeping. And so they go wake Jesus up. They tell him we're about to sink. Jesus comes out and he calms the storm. 
the disciples were afraid of the storm. Now they're just in awe. It just catches them, and they're a little frightened of Jesus because of the power that he could display them. He just, with a word, calms the storm. And they're just kind of figuring out who Jesus is. Well, now they get to the other side of the sea, which is a Gentile region called the Decapolis. And so now we're east of the Sea of Galilee. There are ten Roman cities there, and the group of ten cities they call Decapolis, which just means ten cities, and Jesus' boat hits there, and that's the setting for Mark chapter 5, beginning of verse 1. And here's what it says. They came to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gerasenes. When he, Jesus, when, when Jesus got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had, he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken to pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains, gashing himself with stones." Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other? Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, What's your name? And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored him saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. And Jesus gave them permission and coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine and the herd rushed down the steep bank and into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. And their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. Kind of interesting, last time we were talking about the dogs in Scripture. And now, just when we think cats might show up in Scripture, it's actually pigs. But, you know, who knows? So verse 15. And they came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed and in his right mind. The very man who had... Who had had the legion, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened, and to the demon-possessed man, and all about the swine. And they began to implore him, that's Jesus, they began to implore Jesus to leave their region. And as he was getting into the boat, this is Jesus again, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring Jesus that he might accompany Jesus. And he did not let him, but he said to him, Go home to your own people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. So, weird story, because it talks about a demon-possessed guy. We don't talk a lot about that, and sometimes... People read through scriptures and they come to passages like this and it just sort of doesn't compute. 
But what I want us to see today is that there is evil in the world and that Jesus is the answer for that. And I want to work through this passage. So if you just kind of bear with me, here's what we can get from it. First of all, we need Jesus. People need Jesus because evil is real. We live in a culture that doesn't want to talk about objective evil so much. And evil comes in different forms and occasionally it has come in the form of demons. And many don't believe demons exist. We get that, but Jesus said they do. And so what we read in scripture trumps our personal experience. And so I believe in demons, that they exist. And, and by the way, demons, because people misunderstand this, Satan and demons... Demons are created beings, created by God as angels, who chose, who had some will at some point, and they chose to rebel against God. And it seems, Scripture seems to indicate that a third of the angels rebelled and started following perhaps an archangel named Lucifer, Satan. And so that, that's where demons kind of come from. Of course, if you don't believe in God, then you don't believe in spiritual beings, and, and I get that. But... If you don't believe in God, then everything is a result of naturalism. And, and if you believe, if naturalism is all you think there is, then you should have no complaint about evil. Because if there is no God, there is no objective good or evil. That's just a construct that doesn't mean anything that we have come up with. And so good evil don't really exist, objective good and evil, if there is no God. Because it would just be a natural phenomenon that's just a continuation of the naturalistic evolution that we're experiencing. So there's no right or wrong to it. But what we know about scripture is that during the time of Jesus' earthly ministry, there was sort of an outburst, a spike in demonic activity uh, that seems to be greater than ever before or ever since. But Jesus' power over them was now, uh, was always absolute. And so he, uh, it was no contest. The demons couldn't stand before him. They're created beings. Jesus is God. So there's not like a big, big battle here. And passages, when people read them today in our culture, in modern times, people read passages like this and they're thinking, wow, in the first century, people must have been really simplistic and superstitious that they would believe such things. But remember, this is Jesus. And they're really not being simplistic or superstitious. And, uh, you know, and people think that because, you know, they didn't understand germs. They didn't understand biology. They didn't understand viruses. And so they just kind of simplistically said, oh, he's got a demon or something. It's really not the way it is in Scripture. For example... Matthew records in Matthew 4.24 that people are coming to Jesus because they have all kinds of issues. And then he lists out all the, peop the different types of issues that people have that are coming to Jesus. And he says some of them had diseases. Some of them just had, had pains that they couldn't ascribe to a disease. He says some of them were paralyzed. He says some of them were mentally unbalanced. And some of them were there because of denomination demonic activity. The point is, they weren't being simplistic. They weren't just saying, oh, everybody's problem is this. They understood the difference. They understood all those categories. In a lot of ways, they were less simplistic than we are. We're more simplistic than they are. 
And I think because most Western cultures don't take the spiritual world seriously enough. Today, people are dominated by their own views. If they're dominated by the naturalistic view, then the answer to something like this is just take a pill. If they're dominated by the psychological view, it's talk it out. If they're dominated by a moralistic view, it's just obey and, and do the right thing. If they're dominated by a superstitious view, it's demons behind every little thing that's happening. The Bible, Scripture, is never that simplistic. It's always more complex. The Bible says things like you're suffering or depressed, going through an issue. Well, it could be a physiological problem. You need rest, nutrition, maybe medication. Or it could be a moral issue where you know you're guilty of something and you need forgiveness. Or it could be a mental or a psychological issue where you need love and talk and community. Or it could be a demonic thing. You know, that's a possibility too. You need prayer and the word. The Bible doesn't simplistically default to one cause or another. It teaches evil's complex. It's out there and it's inside. It's natural and it's supernatural. It's individual, but it's also corporate and systematic. You know, so the Bible sees all these layers that we sometimes miss. But here's the deal. More, more importantly, that evil exists is that we need to understand that evil exists inside of us. And because of that, we need to know something about evil. And that is evil is progressive. There's a progression to evil in our lives. Now, when I say evil in us, a lot of people, they don't buy that. You know, people are... Today, our friends, you know, they're, they're quick to admit they're not perfect. But for you to say you have evil in your life, that's kind of, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not me. I mean, I'm not perfect. But I'm not evil. But it's all degree. We're not perfect. Why? Because we all do wrong things. Well, wrong is evil. We just don't like to use that terminology about ourselves and typically, no matter what we do, we sort of justify in our mind. But sometimes, some of the things we have done, or we have thought about doing, or whatever the case may be, if somebody else did that, we would think that is evil. But whoa, whoa, whoa. If I did it, well, that, well, I did that because of this. We justify it. There's always a reason. There's always a cause. It's not really us. It's not who we are. It just kind of happened that way because of circumstances. We justify the evil in our lives if we even admit that it's there. Now, one thing, as we, we talk about a passage like this, that you, you need to understand is uh, Christians cannot be demon-possessed. And so we know that. Jesus is an authority. I mean, when this all happens... They know who Jesus is, and they have no choice but to submit to Jesus. And I've never seen demon possession that I know of, and, but here's, here's my thoughts on it. As I looked through Scripture and studied this a little bit, I remember one time I was reading a book on demonology. This was actually part of a seminary class, and I was working all by myself um, 
in this little, some of you have heard this, in this little room that was actually a, a, like a guardhouse with glass all around guarding somebody. It's a long story. But anyway, I'm just all alone. It's like 3 in the morning. I'm doing my job, but on little breaks, I'm reading this book on demonology. It's freaking me out a little bit. You know, it's stormy outside. It's, it's dead, you know, completely dark. It's just weird. And then a guy who I worked with who was traveling, we, we worked at different areas, secure, armed security. He came and he got up on a fence and walked the fence and then got on top of my building, which was like a bunker. It was like a low concrete building with glass everywhere. And then he laid down and reached right to this window. I'm sitting at this table. And he went, bam, 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 bam. I just about get, but anyway, demons freak us out a little bit. You know, it just, that's what it freaked me out more than anything else, I think. Just because I was reading that book. You know, point is, demons cannot touch us as believers. Because God has complete authority. And, uh, and I don't know exactly what this guy did that he ends up this way. I, I believe that. For somebody, even a non-believer to be demon-possessed, they have to be sort of pursuing the occult or, or dark realities. They have to be chasing that. Or maybe that they get involved in sin at such a deep level unchecked that maybe that opens them up. But who knows? We don't know that. We just know this guy ends up, his life is a wreck. He's living as an outcast in a cemetery. He's hurting himself. He's got a lot of strength. But here's what I know. And here's what we can see from the story. That evil is not, is not only progressive in our life, but it's also destructive. Notice in the story it says they could no longer bind him. They couldn't restrain him. Any, there was a time where they could, but he got stronger and stronger. And then no one was strong enough. We see the progression. But then we also see the destruction. Then he's, he's screaming, he's yelling, he's gashing himself with rocks, cutting himself with rocks. You know, it's destructive, self-destructive. When we give ourselves over to live for the wrong things in our life, even good things, it will progress and it will become our master. If we ever get caught up in wrong and, and some habitual thing that we're having trouble with, and it goes unchecked in our life. Now, as Christians, we can do wrong and we can admit it and repent and try to battle it and turn and ask God for help. And, and so it gets kind of checked a little bit. If it goes unchecked in a life, and specifically an unbeliever's life, then it's destructive and it's progressive. And we have classic examples of that really in our culture. Like the businessman who say he, he lives for... He wants, he wants to be successful in business above all else in his life. And so his life's unbalanced, right? We kind of have this character of somebody, and then what happens? You know, they lose their family. Why? Because they're never around their family. They don't care about their family. They're totally tuned in because it's business above all else. And then they're tempted with their ethics that they cut some corners because it's success, money, that drives them. And then that leads to other relationships falling apart. Maybe their health. The point is, it becomes their master. They become enslaved to it. And then the rest of, the, of their life starts self-destructing. We can all see how that happens in someone's life. That's the way sin is. That's the way evil is. Anything 
that is more important to you than God will eventually enslave you. We all serve something or someone. It's just a matter of who are we living for? What are we living for? So what's the point? Well, the point is this. We need Jesus to combat evil in our own lives. We need Jesus and to combat evil all around us. We need to tell others about Jesus because Jesus is the only answer to evil. Jesus doesn't deny evil. Jesus tells us what's right and wrong so we can identify evil. And then Jesus has the answer for evil. He has the answer for our guilt, for example. People say, oh, Christianity, that just makes you feel guilty. Well, we all feel guilt over things that we've done. And anybody but a psychopath would feel guilt over certain things. It's Jesus, it's Christianity that has the answer for our guilt, that we have forgiveness and we don't have to stay being guilty, that we can be forgiven and we can move on. We we don't deny there's guilt, we have the answer to guilt. Of course, a lot of people don't want to admit that there's something as bad as evil in their lives. And they justify. Just know this, Jesus came to deal with all evil and one day evil will be subjected all evil will be subjected and put down and Jesus is in the process of doing that now and here's the thing that we tend to forget in a passage like this is that even Satan has to submit to Jesus and anything that he does is within the permissive will of what God will allow so God does not control us God he gives us freedom for us to do wrong things But even the wrong, evil things that we do or Satan does, even that ultimately works for God's purposes. I know that sounds kind of weird. Evil's limited. We see that in Job. The book of Job in the Old Testament where Satan has to ask God, can he do some things in Job's life that are bad? But ultimately, all evil ends up serving God's purposes. We see that, for example, in the betrayal of Judas like the worst evil is that Jesus Christ the son of God is betrayed and and tortured to death but even in that God brings about the greatest good in the universe the death of Jesus Christ for our sins and we realize that was a a part of God's plan since the beginning so here you have this guy he runs to Jesus in desperation and he cries out and Jesus just says come out and and the demons start complaining and negotiating or whatever but Jesus just says come out and they have to do it and notice how the demons address Jesus they don't need to be introduced they know exactly who Jesus is did you catch it they cry out Jesus son of the most high God what are you doing here? What do you want with me, they're saying. And here's the point we need to get this. This whole series we've been talking about, people think they're Christians. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to somebody and I'll say, well, are you a believer? And they'll say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. And I'm thinking, I don't think you do. And they're, no, I believe in Jesus. And what they mean by that is, I believe that Jesus existed and I... but. I don't just, because 
every serious historian believes that Jesus exists. He's the most famous man in history, and he changed the world more than anybody in history. That's just history. And I believe that Jesus not only existed, and, some will, and that's where they stop. But some will say, no, I believe Jesus existed, and I believe he's the very son of God. I believe in Jesus as God. So do demons. But they don't follow Jesus. The point is, we can believe in Jesus. We can believe in Jesus as God. That does not make us a Christian. That's not what a Christian is. As a matter of fact, James talks about this, right? James 2.19 says, you believe that God is one? You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. We have to not just under, believe in Jesus and not even just believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Becoming a Christian is to follow Jesus. This is what we're trying to emphasize in our purpose statement when we say discover truth. We want to help people go through this process. Discover truth. Then, once they know the truth, decide on Jesus. Decide to follow him. Make a decision for him. Then we'll know that's real by they will demonstrate change in their life. We want to help you demonstrate change in your life to show that you're a believer. And then as you're doing that, you'll, you'll eventually want to deploy for others, help others become believers. That's what being a Christian is. And we need to be reminded of that, especially in our day. Because people throw the term around a lot, maybe without really understanding exactly what it is. Here's what we see in the man. He comes to Jesus... Jesus casts out the demons. Well, then he believes in Jesus. He has faith in Jesus. Well, how do we know that? Because he demonstrated change. He, this man changed so much because he was well-known in the region, not personally, but just that guy you want to avoid. He changed so much that when people from the region of Decapolis, from the city and the countryside, came to see what happened, I mean, hey, 2,000 pigs are gone, this guy named Legion, he's not a threat anymore, what's going on? When they show up, they see him sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed, and in his right mind, it freaks them out. They're scared. Now they're scared. Because Jesus has this power, they're like, whoa! And they asked Jesus to leave. Why'd they ask Jesus to leave? Well, it's either the, the loss of these pigs could have something to do with it, but also it's like, wow, this guy has completely changed. He's done a 180. What's going on there? This man has power. They ask him to leave. And, and Jesus leaves. And so then what happens next? Well, the guy, the formerly... Demon-possessed guy, he comes to Jesus as, as he's, the disciples, Jesus, they're all getting in the boat. And he says, take me with you. I want to go with you. I want to be with you. I want to hang with you. I want to do life with you, Jesus. And Jesus says, no. No, go back to your home where you haven't been for a long time. You know, go back there and tell people what God has done for you. And he does. And then it says he starts telling people about Jesus. People are amazed. That's actually not even the end of the story. A couple chapters later at the end of chapter, Mark chapter 7 and the beginning of Mark chapter 8. It says that later, months later, Jesus comes back into this region. The same region where the people ask him to leave. He comes back and all of a sudden people are flocking to Jesus. They're bringing in people that have all kinds of issues and need to be healed and this, that, and the other thing. And they're all flocking to Jesus. 
He gets a totally different reception. So many people are coming to Jesus that at one point, while he's in the region of the Decapolis, he's out in the countryside, out kind of in the wilderness, in the middle of nowhere, and there are 4,000 people following him, and they've been listening to Jesus for three days, and they have nothing to eat. And Jesus becomes concerned that if he tells them to go home, they haven't eaten for three days, that they won't make it home. And so he feeds them. Why the change? How do you go from leave us to thousands of people following him? Everybody wants to hear what he has to say. Apparently, one guy. One guy. One guy who couldn't stop talking about Jesus. And so my question for us is, when's the last time... We talked about Jesus. When's the last time you talked to somebody about Jesus? You know, that's just not his job. That's all true believers' job. That's the job of every disciple. That's what Jesus tells us at the end of Matthew, the Great Commission. Go, make disciples. Go, point other people to Christ. Go, help people understand about Jesus. Go, help people become followers of Jesus, all that means. And it's not just the disciples that do that. It's all believers. That's our job. That's what we're supposed to do. And are we doing it? We want to take care of evil in us? Turn to Jesus. You want to take care of evil in the world? You want to change the world? Talk to people about Jesus. That's what God's called every one of us to do. That's what we're to be about. The people in Decapolis later uh, in Mark 7, they say this. They were utterly astonished saying, He, talking about Jesus, has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. They couldn't stop talking about the good of Jesus, but... They would have never gone to listen to Jesus or see Jesus or approach Jesus. Apparently, if it wasn't for this guy. And then we think, well, I'm not, Kevin, I, I, that's not going to work for me. Well, why? why? Why can't you talk about Jesus? Well, for one, I don't have any non-Christian friends. You need to get out. You know what? Get out more. Make some friends. Be friendly. Well, it's not just that. I'm just not wired up that way. I mean, that, you know, it's just awkward. It's kind of like politics. You know, it's just, it's awkward. I, I don't know how to talk to somebody. Well, it's way more important than politics. And anybody can do this. Because if you're a believer, that means at some point, and you should be able to identify when this was, there's been some point in the past where you made a decision to follow Jesus. You may not have the day and time memorized, but you should be able to remember back, yeah, this is when I started following Jesus. Because it's a decision to news that you heard. And then, after that time, you'll know that's real because you'll realize your life has changed. That God has changed you from the inside out. That somewhere you stopped doing something that you thought was okay because now you don't think it's okay. Or you started doing something that was good that you would have never done before. 
And so you should be able to look back on your life since you became a believer and see how God, that's demonstrated change. You should have demonstrated change in your life. And right there, if you just have that, which every believer should have, you can just tell people what God has done in your life. I was sharing with the last service. We find ourselves as Christians doing things we thought we would never do. I liked high school. The class I hated the most in all of high school, speech. I had to take a speech class. Because in that class, during that semester, I had to give one three-minute speech. And I dreaded that. And some of you are thinking, I wish we could go back to that three-minute rule now. (laughs) But I was terrified. I got to do a three-minute speech. I did it on changing a tire. How to change a tire. That's the worst assignment I had in my whole high school career. I'm now doing something I never thought I'd... The point is we we should all have stuff like little things or big things that we've done. Changes that we've made. We find ourselves doing things as a believer to follow Jesus that we would have never done before. That's demonstrated change. And then we need to deploy for others. That's what God wants for us, every one of us. And that's what, that's what this series has been all about. That's what our next series is all about. Why believe? Why believe is just targeting people that are kind of on the fence about God and having a relationship with God. Maybe believing in Jesus, but really not knowing him as a savior. That's what this series is about. We won't be talking about demons next week, okay? Don't worry about that, all right? It'll be why believe. And we need, we are pumped about what God's going to do. Not just in Tiffin, but here and in Northwood. We're blanketing the whole region this Sunday with, you know, a a mailer card. Looks like this. You should be getting one in your box, in your mailbox this week. Everybody's going to get one. The whole region's going to get one of these. And then not only that, we have these invite cards. This just isn't that hard. Just the other day, this last week. You know, I'm talking to a guy that I, talk, I run into in our community once in a while, and, and I, I've invited him to church before, but, you know, he's a nice guy. And I know, I've kind of found out that he has two good friends that go to our church. And so I just walked by him, I saw him again, said hi to him, and then I said, you need to come and check out Grace. And he kind of did the, eh, you know, maybe, you know, did that. That's all it takes. And then... This week, I'll just give them a card and say, by the way, here's grace. Here's what we're talking about this week. Here's the times. It's just not that hard. For some reason, God has, has made it that he uses people to impact eternity. And we get to be players on everything that God is doing. We get to make a difference in people's lives. Just by, if you, want to sh- if you can share the gospel, that's great. If you can tell people what God's done in your life, that's great. But at least just say, well, come. you got to come check out grace. I've heard several stories you know, about people doing that. And just, just this morning, cool stuff. Don't miss what God's doing in Tiffin, 
what he's going to do here in Fremont, Northwood, all three places, but we all have a role to play. Put a sign in your yard. People might ask you about grace. That's already happened. So here's, here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm going to ask the band to come out. They're going to play a closing song for us. And here's what I'm asking you. How many of you had committed last Sunday that you would pray for five people you'd think don't know Jesus and you'd invite at least three of them to come to church in this, for this next series starting next week? How many, how many committed to doing that? Well, I'm asking you to do the same thing. And so we have these bands to help us remember. They just, it's just a logo of our church that says pray and invite. And so just a reminder of your commitment. If you're ready to do that today, we'd love during the song, just come up here. There's actually four boxes up here, baskets, um, holding, these, uh, holding these bands. Just grab one of those, and uh, it'll help remind you. But we're going to be praying. We're going to be excited about what God does next Sunday, and we want you to be a part of it. Let's stand together. Father God, we thank you for loving us. And Lord, we we don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve to be forgiven of our wrongs, but you've done that. And Jesus has paid our, our correct price for our sin based on your justice. And God, we thank you for that because we don't want to pay that for ourselves. It'd be an eternity. And God, we understand that standing amongst us are probably some people who who really don't know you yet and are considering becoming a believer, trying to kind of figure it all out. And for those, Father, we pray that they would keep coming, especially this, the next few weeks, or that they would come back to room one, ask the questions that they have, get the answers that they need. We have nothing to hide. We only want to help. But, Father, for the rest of us, those are, who are believers, God, help us to do what you want us to do. Lord, help us to be motivated to follow you, to take action, to open our mouths, to talk, to personally invite someone to come and hear more about you. And God, we thank you that you use us to impact people's lives. Don't know why you've chosen to do that. Well, that's the way it is. And God, we thank you that we can make an impact on people. God, use us, empower us, help us. Lord, talk and point people to you this week and the weeks to come. Thanks, Lord. In Christ's name we pray.